Well, hey, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going to spend some time moving forward in the uh, sermon series that we've been in this spring. Uh, just a heads up, Ian is going to be taking a few pictures uh, today, so just don't, don't worry about it. They're for the website. Uh, if you think you might be in a shot, put a big smile on your face like you're actually laughing at one of my jokes or something so that we can have those pictures on the website. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, but just, just, just don't worry about that, but just wanted to give you a heads up on that. I'm going to pray a little uh, here quick, and then we will hop into our sermon this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, bringing us here together today, whether we are worshiping here in person, we're worshiping online, maybe we're listening to this sermon uh, later on um, over podcast or something like that, Lord. Uh, either way, you, you've gathered us here together. Your word is being preached, and we're going to be talking about technology today, God, and we're thankful for the technology uh, that you have given us, but I pray that you would also give us wisdom as we uh, consider how we can navigate that well so that we may walk with you uh, and have our souls refreshed, as we have been talking about in this series. pray that in the name of the Good Shepherd, Jesus. Amen. So like I just said in that prayer today, we are going to be talking about uh, the idea of technology and how we sort of uh, navigate that well as we do what we've been talking about in this series of walking uh, on the path of life alongside the shepherd, uh, like we had kind of used in Psalm 23, right? He refreshes my soul. We walk with the shepherd. We've been talking about what it looks like for us to be the sheep of that psalm as we walk through life. And one of the things that we encounter on that path, just we can't avoid it, is technology. And I think it matters for us to kind of pause and consider how we uh, interact with that as we sort of seek out the stuff that we've been talking about in this series. Because every day we interact with different things, with our phones and the apps that are on them, with the internet, uh, different machines that we might use for work, uh, smart homes, uh, virtual reality, video games, social media, whatever it is. These are things that we just use or, or interact with on our regular day-to-day -day life. And it, it's good for us to think about it. But one of the problems I think we often find with this issue is there's not a lot of really easy passages of Scripture to go to that just say, do this, this, and this with your, with your phone or when you're on YouTube. Because, like, spoiler alert, the, the Bible was written way before, like, Pretty much all the technology that we have today was invented. Um, it wasn't written in a period of the kind of like rapid technological change that we are living in right now. Um, and if you just want to think about like how much the world has changed just even over the last few decades, just think about your grandparents and like the changes in technology that they lived with from the time they grew up to now, right? They, they, uh, you know, they, they grew up with these boxes, these large boxes, and you could hear a voice come out of it called a radio, and that was mind-blowing, right? And now they're trying to, like, use cell phones, right? Like, they're trying to navigate. That's been the, the amount of change in their lives. Um, it's maybe, it probably is, I guess, I'm sure there are experts who could say this for sure, but I would think it's for sure, like, the largest leap forward in technology in human history, and it's not probably even close. And we're living in the middle of that. We're living kind of uh, in a world that is constantly evolving and changing. 
right? Maybe if you think about that, it'll make you a little more patient next time you're FaceTiming your grandparents and they're holding the phone up to their forehead or something like that, right? They're not using it totally right. You have a little grace for them, kind of knowing the amount of change that they've lived in that we're now living in the midst of and we kind of take for granted, but we still deal with on a regular basis. We live in a world that's founded on that change um, and that is touched pretty much in everything that we do by it. And it's hard for you know, us to kind of find good scripture, I think, to help us to think through that because the, the biblical writers are just not uh, dealing with that. And so we might feel stuck sometimes to have guidance on how to interact with it. Now this is, I think, one of the reasons it matters for us, and this is a value for us at Res City, to learn to think and how to grow fruit so that no matter what situation we come to, even if we can't find some Bible verse that's easy to apply to a situation, we've been formed to think in a way that is scriptural and Christ-like as we navigate through it. And that's kind of what I want us uh, to do today. Okay, but I think there's one story that is kind of illuminating or helpful for us as we kind of address this issue of technological change. And it's the story of the Tower uh, of Babel. Okay, so Genesis, in Genesis 11, this is very early on in the scripture, um, we find uh, this, this story of people moving east. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now, anytime you're reading the Bible and you hear someone moves east, Uh, John Salehammer, he says this, okay, when a person in the Bible goes east, he leaves the land of blessing and goes to a land where his hopes turn to ruin, okay? East, going east in the Bible, usually not a good thing. And that's what's being foreshadowed here in Genesis 11. And we we, we read that they build this tower, they're going to build this thing using mud bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now, this is a kind of technological development. That's why the author of Genesis alerts us to it. It's a sort of innovation that's making something that was not possible before, now possible for them. And I'm not an expert in in this at all. I kind of looked into it a little bit, and it seems like the development is of efficiency. So stone and cement would be, be better. They'd be more sturdy to build something, but if, you're, if you don't have access to stone, which is really hard to transport, this is a way for you to mass produce something to build a tower out of easily, quickly, without uh, you know, having to, 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 to deal with this harder stuff and transporting it from the east, or sorry, from the west. And, and you can do it quickly and cheaply, but you might sacrifice some quality in there. Okay? So that's what the technological development is here. And this technological development sort of spurs them into this great sort of humanist project, we could say. So verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, the... If you study the ancient world and you try to figure out exactly what this thing that they're building is, it's... It's a tower, but it's a specific kind of tower called a ziggurat. And it's a stairway not for people to go up to heaven, but it's supposed to create a kind of platform in the heavens for the gods to come down to earth. And John Walton, he's a, he's a biblical scholar, says that what they're trying to do here, especially in the context of the story of Genesis, is to reestablish sacred space, a space where humans and the divine are living together, okay? That's been separated, it's a, and it's a space to connect 
the divine and all the blessings of the divine to whatever it is, immortality, to, to meeting of all needs for people, to just connecting to something beyond us. Now, ultimately, and we're not, we're not going to dig into this a lot today, but, but biblically, what that means is just God's presence. That's how the Bible talks about um, sacred space overlapping with human space. And in Genesis 3, just a few chapters earlier, humans had lost this access to sacred space. They had lost this connection to the divine when they'd been removed from the Garden of Eden. That was a place where God's space, sacred space, overlapped with human space. That had been, they'd been cut off from that. And so here they are trying to regain that sacred space and all its benefits again. And there's nothing wrong with desiring that. Okay? I want to point that out real quick here. There's nothing wrong with trying to, to wanting to have this back, to wanting to bridge the gap once again. Okay? In a sense, that's really what the gospel is all about. But the text tells us that they do this for their own name, not for God's. By their own initiative, through their own technological means, they're trying to establish this thing that they had lost in the Garden of Eden. And if you know the story, it's kind of a familiar one, so maybe you've heard it before. God puts a kibosh on the whole project, and he makes a babble of their language. Um, okay, and, and you know, it's, kind of, it's helpful because in the English, it's just like the Hebrew. The Tower of Babel is kind of a play on the word babble. It makes sense there. That's how the Hebrew works too, okay? Um, and God is saying that this, this technological advancement of accomplishing sacred space on their own terms is not good for humans. So he shuts the project down. He's saying it's not going to produce what you hope it will. Now, as we talk about technology today, I think the Tower of Babel is helpful because, and I'm not the first one to notice this, okay? If you think I'm making this up, like a lot of people have kind of used the Tower of Babel as a way for us to think about our own technological advancements in, 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 our times, in our times and places. But it offers us a kind of parable of the role of technology and the role it can often take in humankind. Because in a sense, technology is often used, whether intentionally or unintentionally, as a means to try and reach out and touch the divine, to take those attributes uh, for ourselves and to sort of bring its power to us on our own terms, to make a name for ourselves. And so today I want to talk about this. I want us to consider how technological pursuits that we may interact with in our uh, day-to-day lives of trying to touch the divine in some way can sometimes help us, but often can hurt us in our quest to walk with the shepherd, which is our connection to the divine on God's terms. And just for us to think critically about this, to kind of be thoughtful about how we are engaging with what's going on around us. Okay, before we go further, I just want to stop real quickly and just make this really clear, okay? Technology, massive gift. Not saying at all technology is bad. Okay, I want to be really, really, really clear uh, by starting off by saying this. I know a lot of people sitting in this room or watching us online or listening to this, you work in the tech industry in some way. Okay, you actually, you, you contribute to this. We have people at RISC that work for 3M, Amazon, Boston Scientific, you work in IT, you're, you're engineers, right? And the things that you guys create in your work are incredible gifts to humanity. Okay, absolutely, 100%. You want to know why, how I prove that I think that that's true? We use a lot of that technology as a church. Okay, we use social media. We have a camera on the back of uh, the sanctuary here re- recording me, sending me out to YouTube so that people can sit at home 
uh, and watch this. We're recording it so people can hear it later on. We used this technology uh, during the pandemic to help connect us in our community groups. Like These are massive gifts to us. And actually, if you go to Genesis 1, I think this fits into what one of the kind of kind of the point of what God creating humans and the role that he has for them in his world actually like what he wants it's called the cultural mandate this is what people often use to describe this God is creative and he wants us to be too he's made us in his image to rule wisely over creation to take the untamed parts of it in our world and rein it in so it can be used to bless humanity and the rest of God's world we get to be like God when we do things that involve us using technology to sort of make the world a better place. And we have accomplished so much of that with the technology that we have in our, in our lives today, that make people's lives better in just countless ways. So it is so important, I think, for us as Christians to engage in that and to work in those industries, okay? So hear me when I say that. Okay? But, I, but there's more, more to it than that, okay? There's more to the story than that. There are limits also to what technology is going to accomplish, Okay? And we need to be sort of sober and reflecting on those things as well. God scrambles this, this Babel project, not because technology is bad, but because humans coming together to try to touch the divine through their wisdom doesn't end well oftentimes. And one of the classic examples of this, you know, a lot of us in this room or watching online, like, you know, we don't think about this one as much, but just a few decades earlier, the classic example of this is when in the 1940s, many of the most brilliant people in the whole world came together and they created something that's ingenuity was only outpaced by its horror, the atomic bomb. We had the power of God to destroy civilizations, to kill millions. We had created that on our own terms. And there was a lot of questioning, is this good for us as humans to have this sort of power? Okay? Well, I mean, and, and that's, that's, some, that's the world we live in now, where that sort of technology exists, all right? Most tech, technology is not like that, okay, uh, obviously. But, and this is a quote from a book called Ruthless Illumination here by John Mark Comer. He says it really well. He says, we talk constantly about the pros of the modern digital age, and there are many, but we rarely say anything about the cons. He asks, is it even a net positive? Uh, technological progress does not necessarily equal human progress. I think we confuse those two sometimes. There are lots of studies, for example, that show correlation between higher use of phones and anxiety and depression. There's numerous reasons why that might be the case, but the best technology that we are coming up with is making us more and more anxious. Okay, so a lot of cool stuff's being created by it, but then there's also a lot of unintended consequences. Uh, Social media is often marketed to us as the great sort of unifying tool in the world, bringing everybody in the world together for conversation. And I don't know, I have a hard time thinking of a greater source of disunity in human history than social media, right? It's kind of created all sorts of fractures in society. If you want a great example of the effects of that on us, There's a great documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, and it's got a bunch of former insiders who kind of worked in this industry uh, who kind of talk a lot about how these technologies are created with no understanding of the consequences and very little regard for what they are when they do produce themselves. And they're sort of meant to to make money and be more efficient for you, yes, but more for the people who are making them. 
This is another quote from Ruthless Elimination in a Hurry. Your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes. But it actually works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not you. You're, the cust you're not the customer, you're the product. It's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind. Okay? And this, show, this shows, when we kind of consider how often we get mastered by the technologies that we use. Okay? By some estimates, uh, by, by age 21, the average guy has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. Or the average American spends 705 hours a year on social media and 2,737 hours watching TV. We have studies that show that just being in the same room as our phones reduces our working memory and problem-solving skills. And the average attention span, apparently, of humans is reduced, I think it's like eight seconds. The attention span of a goldfish is nine. Okay, so like we're not, we're not doing so hot when it comes to like how we're, we're, we're caring for ourselves. And I think the reason is this. Technological innovation is, I think, always or very often outpacing our ability to ethically and theologically keep up with it. Because we're not God. And we can't use his tools without massive unintended consequences. Okay, so consider... Some of the like, traditional divine attributes we assign to God and the way some kinds of, of technology uh, accomplish this attribute or at least get us really close to it, okay? Omnipresence is the, a word we use to describe God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Well, that's kind of what the internet is trying to do for us, right? To connect us to anyone in the world at any second in time, right? To, we can watch live like a football game, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now on social media, just watching videos of what's going on. Like we're there, but we're sitting in the safety of our own home, okay? The, the internet, you know, th this is sort of something that is really, you know, created a presence that we can have all over the world at once. Or think about omniscience, to know all things, to have access to knowing all things. To be able, you know, we now can just look up the answer to any question and and learn, you know, I'm using air quotes here, learn anything about anything in minutes. And this is a hilarious meme that, that I saw recently. Um, you know, I'm done being an expert in vaccines. I am now an expert on the conflict in Ukraine. Have you noticed how many people, you know, apparently can become experts in these things because they did a quick Google search of something, right? This is the type of omniscience we have, okay? But it does allow us to sort of uh, learn something about anything at any moment. Maybe enough to be dangerous, but enough to know something about things. Or immortality. You know, a big goal now uh, for, among many who kind of think in this space is to figure out how to slow or stop death and decay and disease. So right, tech, tech tycoons are sort of actively setting their minds to this, thinking about how we can sort of transcend our mortality as humans. Or, or think about this. Jesus, to, we, to be Jesus with the loaves and the fish, right? To kind of show up with like a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and produce him for like on a, on a mass scale for many, many, many people, right? There's that famous story of Jesus uh, with the crowds creating uh, 5,000 or for feeding 5,000 people. Well, we kind of can do that too, right? We use a lot of technology to create and produce things on a mass scale, feeding many, many, many people to make it easier to produce for like the whole world. You know, but a lot of times, you know, we're actually not even creating food that's actually that good for us, right? But we're creating a lot of it. 
Let me give a personal example of this, okay? I want to go back to omnipresence. Consider my inadvertent efforts to sort of seek out and have omnipresence, okay? I'm not, that's not what I think I'm doing in my head, but it's what's actually, what I'm actually trying to do a lot of times. And I want to use this kind of as a jumping off point for the rest of the sermon. Okay, and I'm talking about text threads, okay? How many of you guys have text threads that you're on that are kind of buzzing a lot of times? Yeah, a lot of us now, okay? Right? I have got multiple text threads that are kind of constantly buzzing, right? I feel like there is some conversation that's going on in at least one of them all the time. And I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a literal 24-7 conversation with multiple people from all over the country. So everywhere I go, I am in one of these conversations. And if you think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm transcending my limits, right? Like, I, I am with these people all over the world at one time. I'm not allowing myself to be confined to a geographical space, right? Great for me, right? And we talk all sorts of stuff. News, politics, theology, uh, personal stuff, sports, more sports. Um, it, you know, we share our Wordle scores, our Wordle scores, Quirtle scores. There's a lot of Erdle things out there right now, um, right? We, we, we do this. It's a fun way to connect for ourselves. And on the one hand, it makes my life better in a lot of ways. I'm present with these people wherever they are or wherever I am. It's pretty cool. I mean, we can talk about whatever we want. And I am doing this with friends. So I nor you know, without it, I wouldn't probably have any connection to. Friends from all over the country or the state. People I don't see on a regular basis. And it's amazing, right? I can carry on the sort of depth of friendship with people that I'd rarely see. It's really cool. I'm glad for the modern technology that allows me to do that. We pray for each other. We share deep things. We're known. We have fun with each other. It's good. It's good. Okay? But I also cannot tell you how much I've allowed these threads to be a regular intrusion into my life. Okay? I've had days that just get derailed by long texting sessions. Okay? Like my phone just keeps blowing up. I'm trying to work on something. I'm trying to answer an email. I'm trying to write a sermon. And my phone keeps buzzing and I can't stop just getting into it. I'm in the middle of a conversation. Right? Um, it, and it can be, you know, like important stuff. We're talking about world events, right? Like talking about serious stuff. I get really worked up sometimes, and then, you know, Julie gets to feel the brunt of that. Or it can be dumb stuff, right? Uh, while I was writing this sermon, th consider the irony about this. I was very aware of the irony as I was doing it, but it did not actually help me to do any better with it. As I was writing this sermon, I had w my phone blowing up as we were talking about Vikings free agency, okay? And how... The Vikings apparently are just going to keep trotting out the same thing every single year, right? My phone was going off crazy. My friends and I, we were watching all the moves all day long, checking Twitter, seeing what the Vikings and other teams were doing, and I was like having a hard time writing this sermon, and I was like, this is, this is not okay. Like, of all the sermons for me to be really hung up on this, it had to be this one, huh? I had my Sabbath ruined at times by this my ability to rest, to do the things that we've talked about in the sermon series because I'm constantly being intruded upon and allowing myself to be constantly be intruded upon. Okay? This technology is, is incredibly disruptive. And I think for a long time I told myself, oh, I can totally multitask. I can have all these conversations at once. That's no problem. But I started to realize it doesn't actually make me omnipresent. It doesn't make me present with all these people at once. It makes me never truly present anywhere. Okay, that's what's actually going on here. I'm not actually being omnipresent, because I can't be. My attention can only go, you know, 
for so, you know, in such a small place, right? And so all it is is just I'm not actually present with anybody. My work is getting half of me. Julie's getting half of me. Uh, God is getting half of me because I'm, I'm not actually present anywhere. It turns out I'm not very good at omnipresence even when my phone is offering that to me. And so what I need to do is just focus on regular old presence, right? The regular old presence that we have built into our bodies just by virtue of being humans. Just because I can be present everywhere at once doesn't mean I actually should be. It's not actually good for me to be doing that. And back to Ruthless Elimination and Hurry, John Mark Comer, he says, this new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. Present to God, present to other people, present to all that is good, beautiful, and true in our world, even present to our own souls. Here's why this matters, you guys. Presence is really, what, when we actually talk about what we're talking about in this sermon series, we actually kind of put it on the table. We're talking about presence. That's what we keep coming back to with all the things in this series. Okay, Presence is what refreshes our soul. Let's go back to Genesis. This is part, this is part of God's design here, okay? Remember how I said that in Babel, in the story, this comes on the heels of humans losing connection to the divine and longing to have it back? Well, this is a longing we all have, okay? It's a good longing within us to desire this, to, to, to want to connect to God. Okay? I do think it's something all uh, people have. And God doesn't call this longing bad in the story. He shuts down their way of doing it, okay? But he never at any point says, I want to cut you off from this thing, Okay? Uh, even though he, you know, even though he scrambled their project, he actually starts right after the Tower of Babel, his own project of reestablishing this sacred space, of bringing his presence to earth. So if we, you go to the very next chapter, chapter 12, God once again intervenes into human affairs, just like he did at Babel, but this time it's not to stymie a project doomed to fail, but it is to bring sacred space to humanity on his terms. So Genesis 12, 1. Then the Lord had said to Abram, he picks a guy named Abram and he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. He chooses Abram. He says, pack up, go on a trip. I'm going to be your Google Maps. I'm going to tell you where to go. And the project is simple. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. You will, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through this thing that we're doing, this project that we're starting. Abraham is going to leave and to start a nation of people who will be his God's special possession and bless the whole earth. And God is going to establish sacred space. He's going to honor the desire of humans to connect to the divine. But he doesn't do it by lifting us up out of being human, right? Making us more than we are, but by simply being present with this group of people, Israel himself, on his terms, using things like prayer, the temple where he actually dwells with his people, the prophets who speak his message to the people of Israel, by having uh, festivals where people gather together to worship him, by fasting. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, okay, and eventually, okay, as the story progresses, on even more, God is going to go even further than that. He's not just going to be present with them in those ways. He's actually going to become physically present with them 
by becoming a part of the family himself. Okay, we use this word often to describe what God does in Jesus, the incarnation. Okay? It's a very Christian-y word, but it's actually a really, really important one that tells us a lot about who God is. It's God actually putting on human flesh and coming to be with us. And this is where the gospel takes place, is in a human, the, a God who's taken on human flesh to be with us. See, God doesn't run from human embodiedness. He doesn't see it as something to be transcended. He doesn't see its limits as something to be overcome. Like, how, how can I make them omniscient like me? No, he runs to it. He uses it. He becomes part of a family. This is how he establishes his sacred space, becoming part of a family. Eating, drinking, breathing, talking, going for walks, feeding people, crying, feeling pain, even dying. And ultimately, he will take these bodies and resurrect them like he himself was resurrected to eternal life. It's God's answer to the limits of death and decay. Now think about what God is doing here. He's signaling to us that the body and being embodied in the, the bodies that he's given us and present in them are good. The technology that he's given to us of our, our bodies themselves is how he wants to meet with us. This has to shape, this, this understanding of who God is and how he is present with us and brings us to sacred space has to approach our engaging with the modern technology that we live in around us, okay? Because I don't know how good we always view our embodied presence. I don't know how our technology actually often helps us to, to live that out well. And one of the things that, you know, that we as a church, and me and Julie have conversations like this on the leadership team and with other leaders at Red City, we talk about this sometimes, is how do we as a church sort of engage well with the technology around us? This is a constant conversation Okay? How much do we lean into new trends, new technology, to new innovation? How much do we resist them? Right? We're, we're constantly asking ourselves this question, and there probably isn't one right answer to it. Okay? We're, we're kind of fine knowing that. and There might be some wrong ones, but I don't know if there's necessarily always one right one for all of us at all times. But regardless, how that conversation goes is important because it's going to, you know, it matters how we talk, how we preach, how we lead, how we shape each other in our mutual walking with the shepherd. So like we said, the technology that we engage with has an effect on us as we walk with the shepherd with Jesus. Okay, so we want to be thoughtful about that. And this is really interesting. I, I, I heard this on a podcast somewhat recently. Again, ironically, podcast, helpful, right? Technology is good, it's helpful, Okay. I heard this on a podcast, and specifically around the idea of innovation, which is something we love when it comes to technology. And this is uh, from a, a pastor in San Francisco, a guy named Dave Lomas. And he was, he was talking with these, with these other podcasters. He's been inter interviewed by them. And they asked him, hey, what do you do to engage with, with hybrid, the digital and in-person aspect of church right now? Um, and that's a, that's a big conversation among pastors, right? Like, like I was saying, we're having this at Rest City. A lot of people are asking this question. How do you do this well? And they just kind of asked him how he did it well. Well, he lives in San Francisco, okay? And very, very many people who live in San Francisco work in big tech. This is kind of where a lot of stuff is booming, right? Facebook or Meta, Apple, et cetera. All these companies are in that area. And a lot of people who live in San Francisco or go to his church are people who work there. And increasingly, he said, the view among a lot of people in this area is that our bodies are like obsolete. They're meaningless. Okay? 
we don't really need them anymore. We're kind of looking to get beyond them in some way. He said that the word that is often used about them is their meat suits, <laughs> right? Kind of very low way to talk about our bodies. Um, and we're better off leaving them behind as much as we possibly can, more and more. And so all this sort of human you know, advancement, this technolo- technology that they're talking about there is sort of overcoming our human limits, okay? Seeing what our bodies are as limiting us in ways and trying to get beyond them using technology. And a big thing, you know, it's on the horizon. Maybe you've heard about this. It's kind of coming out of there is the, the metaverse, right? If you really look into it, as far as I can tell, it's like we would wake up in the morning, put some goggles on, we'd walk around our virtual house, we'd put on our virtual Nike Air Jordans, we would have all of our stuff done, you know, in the metaverse, we would be able to customize our appearance, you know, you can make yourself an avatar, you can tweak how you look, you could be a robot, you can be the Hulk, you can be whatever you want in these settings, and it's, it's kind of like, ugh, it's just kind of escapism, right? It's kind of getting away as much as we possibly can from our bodies. And there's other conversations apparently going on there about like, making our fingers useless, just plugging our brains into computers, merging our bodies uh, w- with tech. Um, and he said, this is, this is Dave Lomas again, he said, for them as a church, with all this stuff going on around them, one of the ways that they are actually being innovative is not by finding all this, you know, in, engaging with all this cool tech around them, but it's actually by sort of not doing any of that stuff. I found this really interesting. My ears really perked up here. A way that they actually are very innovative and attractive in that setting is by kind of not engaging with that stuff. He said people there are just kind of exhausted with all this stuff. They don't actually want more digital, even though that's what they're constantly doing. They, they don't want to, to find more of this. They're actually longing for this sort of embodied presence. And he explained sort of theologically their stance. And it's just the stuff, you know, we talked about that God affirms in Genesis 12 that we are created by God to be embodied. The body, even with its limits, is good. It's not a useless meat suit. It's what God has given us. And he said that the church is one of the few places, institutions or organizations left, where meeting with other people with our presence that we're designed for is the norm and that it's celebrated. And most other places are going away from that. The church is one of the few places where you gather you know, on a regular basis in an embodied way with people. And you see that as sort of the norm. We celebrate that. Now, I know that the reality that he has in San Francisco might not be ours yet, okay? But it's helpful to kind of know that's where we might be headed. And even if that's not totally our reality, you know, we can still, like, feel the disconnection from the sort of, like, sometimes empty calories that we can get from online presence that we have, okay? Think about this, right? It was an incredible gift to us that when March 2020 hit and we found ourselves living isolated from one another, that we had all this technology that we could connect to each other with. Okay, we as a church, we were going online. We were having community groups meet on Zoom. It was really amazing that we could continue to gather together using these different things. But think of how different it was when we were able to start meeting together again and to actually be present with one another That just felt different. I know I felt that way when our community group was able to get back together again. I heard it from a lot of other people. Like, it just, it was better when we were able to kind of be together, okay? We were kind of felt so relieved. It was a blessing to have those things when we needed it, but much more of a blessing to be present with someone in person again, right? To sort of see their smile, to to let them see yours, to share laughs, 
uh, with each other, you know, to share hugs, to be around each other. It was just different. And the reason I think this matters and we should pay attention to it is because this is how, like, the technology of our bodies actually works. Like, that's important. That's how we're created. Okay? This is, this is what I want to end with. Our embodied presence is what connects us to God. It's important that we know this. So much of what we've been talking about in this series are embodied practices of presence with God. Embodied practices of being present with ourselves, with others, and with God. Resting, silence, meditation, paying attention to your body's emotions uh, and responding to them, talking to someone about them and bringing them to God, connecting all these things to God. These are all things that we can, we do just with our bodies. We don't need technology in order to do them. Yes, in some ways we might be helped, right, by, by apps, right? I use apps to help me pray a lot of times, to have my quiet time each day, right? But only to kind of point us to embodied spirituality, okay? These types of practices are ways we engage with the presence that God has created by coming to be with us, to rest with us, like he started with Abraham. And this is how our souls are refreshed by him. And it have been from ancient times still to this day. And think about this. Even some of our limits that we might have because we're embodied actually allow us to connect with God really well. Some of the limits we're trying to overcome might actually help us to connect with God better. Okay? And this can transform how we view our limits and maybe see them sometimes as good. Not always, but sometimes. Okay? Actually help us to connect with God. So think about this. Right? This is just one example. I cut a bunch of other ones out. Okay? Because there's a lot of ways we could, we could see this happening. But Abraham being called to go to another land, like he's not getting on a jet and flying there for just a couple hours. He is sitting on a camel. He's riding during the day and then he's stopping at night to take a nap and get up and do it again. It took him a while, a few weeks, a few months, right? He's running into other people along the way. Think about all the time that he would have had on that trip just because of his limit that he had as being a human who couldn't be everywhere at once or having only being able to walk at three miles per hour. Think about the time that he would have had for silence, solitude, prayer, meditation because of that human limit. He'd have so much of it. He'd be able to connect with God, to connect with sacred space, to be in God's presence because in, the, in those limits. Right? It was not bad for him to try, or was not something for him to try to transcend. It would have been a good thing, actually. We today, we see limits like that as just inconveniences. And we would shorten it with a jet ride you know, three-hour trip on a jet filled with answering emails or stimulated by an in-flight movie instead of actually using that time maybe to be present with God. Okay? By getting rid of our limits, a lot of times we're crowding out maybe like the natural margin, the natural parts of ourselves that cause us to connect with God well and to live in that embodied life that makes uh, connection to God natural. So to sum all, the, all this up, to put a bow on it here as we kind of close today, being present with God is what it means to walk with the shepherd and fulfill this ancient longing that we have to connect with sacred space. That's one of the, the big ideas of this whole series, and it comes through here as we talk about our engagement with technology, because our attention and our presence matter. And there might be babble projects going on around us here, okay? Uh, and, um, you know, making us think we might be getting there on our own, but oftentimes they're just robbing us of the ability to actually really truly connect with sacred space, to connect with the divine. I'm not saying get rid of your phones or computers or, you know, 
get off social media. I'm not telling you, you know, go find an Amish community to become a part of, okay? It's not what I'm saying at all. Absolutely not, okay? But I wouldn't tell you, you know, to not cut some of these things out of your life or limit them if you felt like you needed to in some way, right? I'm not saying uh, tech is bad, but I am saying we need to be thoughtful about how we engage with it and keep the main thing the main thing, being embodied and present with God so we can connect to sacred space. As we live in a world where are those who are trying to, to build technological and digital towers of Babel, don't let those be a hindrance to you walking with the shepherd. Don't become mastered by tech. Don't, be, don't forego embodied spirituality. Now, maybe this isn't an issue for you. Maybe you're, you've heard all this and you're like, I have no problem with any of this stuff, Joel. Great. I'm glad to hear that. I really am. But there are some of you who probably don't feel that way. Okay? Like me. Maybe you have your own text thread thing. Right, whatever it is, maybe it's not text threads, but it's some other thing that you feel like is sort of hindering you. It's it's keeping you from actually being present or whatever it is. Okay? If so, be thoughtful and be willing to ask yourself hard questions. Okay? It might mean putting your text threads on mute and or putting your phone somewhere you can't reach it, you can't see it, in another room for parts of the day where you need to be present somewhere. It might mean checking your screen time and putting a limit on it. It might mean putting your phone to bed before you go to bed. Right? At 8 o'clock every night, you just put your phone somewhere else so you can be present with your spouse or kids or roommates or whatever it is. It might mean, if, if possible, muting emails so you're not always reachable for work. You're allowing yourself to not be reachable at some points. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing if you can get away with that sometimes. Reimposing that limit on yourself. Okay? It means filling that time when you have it with the presence uh, of God, with presence to yourself, with presence to others. It might even mean making it a priority to come to church, to be, to gather together and worship in an embodied sense with other people, being present, even though you could watch Res City or some other church's live stream. Okay, it might mean saying, I'm going to commit to that, whatever it is. And, and I think really, at the end of the day, it means a ton of being present with God in prayer and asking uh, for him to have, to give you wisdom to discern how to walk well with him, okay? We're going to close here by uh, transitioning to communion. Now, the thing about communion is this connects to some of the stuff we've been talking about today. It's another way that we sort of connect to sacred space. And different, different Christians view communion different ways, right? For us, you know, we kind of start with remembrance. So that's kind of our starting point towards it. It's remembrance to help us in an embodied way by eating and drinking, using our bodies to connect us to God and who he is and the God who took on flesh and allowed his flesh to be broken and his blood shed for us so that we may have no barriers between us and him, that there would be no gap between us and sacred space, between God himself. Okay? Communion connects us to it. It reminds us of it. It's a felt sort of embodied practice where we remember that on a regular basis. And that's why we do it every single week here as a church. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion uh, while we uh, spend some time in worship here. And also, if you would like some prayer, we'll have people in the back who will be willing to pray for you. Okay? People you can go up to next to, you can share your burdens or joys with, who will pray for you, who will engage with you. Please do not forego that if you feel you need that this morning. Let me pray and then we'll and, and, and turn to a time of worship. God, thank you that you, you care about our longing to, to connect to you, God. 
Thank you that you, you don't leave us on our own, but you come to us, God. Your, your presence comes and rests with us through your son, Jesus. I pray that as we live in a world with so many great, amazing things possible to us through, through technology, that you give us wisdom so we can know wisely how to engage it, so that we may continue to have robust, deep connection to your son, Jesus, and to the way that the means to which you have given us connection to your presence, God, Jesus himself. Praise in his name. Amen.